Welcome to the Clued in Mystery Podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Brooke. And we both love mystery. Brooke, I'm excited to record another episode today. I know. Today we have another interview. We're interviewing Melissa Bourbon, and these are always some of my most favorite episodes. Yeah, it's always it's always great to have someone else join our conversation, and I'm really looking forward to discussing uh, cozy mysteries with Melissa. So before we get started, I will just uh, briefly introduce her, and then and then we can we can jump into it. Melissa Bourbon is the author of the book Magic Mysteries, a traditional mystery series, the Lola Cruz Mysteries, which are PI capers, and two cozy series, a magical dressmaking mystery series and the Bread Shop Mystery Series, written as Winnie Archer. She lives in North Carolina with her educator husband and the youngest of their five children. Her dogs Bean, the pug, Dobby, the chug, keep her company while she writes. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Before we get started, I do feel like I need to give a thank you to Cindy Bullard. She is um, with Birch Literary. She happens to be my agent. And I reached out to her and asked who she would recommend for someone to come in and talk cozy mysteries with Sarah and I. And in true Cindy fashion, within an hour, I think we were introduced and talking about this show. So thanks to Cindy. And then in my um, looking into Melissa, your work, I realized that you've recently written a course on creating cozy mysteries. I have. So I'm a teacher by early profession, um, middle school, English language arts, and that I've done that on and off throughout my writing career until about three years ago when I quit altogether. And uh, creating Writer Spark Academy and the courses, including the field guide to how to write a cozy mystery, has really been a fun opportunity to put that teaching hat back on. And then also, I'm a big proponent of kind of paying it forward. You know, I had to learn the hard way before there were podcasts and online courses and, you know, access to so many resources. And so I feel like I've um, been able to condense 15 years worth of learning into this course to help somebody move along on their writing path a little bit faster than, you know, we probably had to all of us. So it's been great. That's wonderful. And that's a great segue. You're obviously somebody that would have a beat on this, which is what makes a mystery a cozy mystery? I'm always surprised, actually. I'll hear somebody online or in social media mention that they don't even know what that is. And um, so, so fill us in. What are the essential elements of a cozy mystery? That's so funny that you say that because I had no idea what they were before I started writing them. I had written my PI caper series and it kind of ended and my agent said, you know, you have a great voice. It'd be great for cozies. And I was like, what's a cozy? (laughs) (laughs) So I had to do a bunch of research to figure that out, um, which I since have, (laughs) as I have two full, fully cozy series. Um, A cozy essentially in the traditional uh, definition or explanation is an amateur sleuth who happens upon murders It takes place generally in a tight-knit community, um, generally in a smaller town. And, um, you know, I like to call them happy murder because the (laughs) gore and all of that takes place off the page. So even though they are murder mysteries, they are definitely on the, tend to be on the lighter side. There's always a spectrum, of course, within any genre or subgenre. But in general, cozies are, you know, on the much lighter side. There's often a lot of humor 
and you don't get any of that real violence or gore except for the fact that there is a dead body you know and, and, and a villain um, and then also sex is off the page you know there might be romantic threads but that's you know secondary to the puzzle of the cozy mystery I like to um, think that they really appeal to and are available to people, whether you're, you know, nine or 90. I joke about my stories being okay for your your preteen or your grandma. Yeah, I agree. I think that when I first went into writing cozies, um, so it was about maybe 10 years ago, and I was maybe already in middle age, I don't know, on the cusp, I guess. Um, but I was like, oh, these are for, you know, middle-aged women, of which I am fully one now. <laughs> But then my niece came over one day and she was like, you know, her teacher put on the outside of her classroom doors books that she was reading. And one of my books was just coincidentally up there. And she, my niece was so excited. She was like, oh, my gosh, my you know teacher is reading your book. And her teacher was, you know, like 28 years old. I was like, oh, OK, a younger audience. That's cool. And then I had a neighbor who is reading one of my books right now. And she's, you know, I don't know, three or four deep in the series. So you're right. It's just a whole. And then my mother, you know, who's 80. So it's there's a whole range. And mm -hmm. it does really satisfy the interests of a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing you mentioned in there that was really interesting to me is that spectrum of coziness, I guess, because it there is a range. Some of the stories that meet all the other criteria are edgy and some are very sweet and cute. So I, I find that interesting um, in this in this subgenre. Right. I have a friend, uh, Tanya Kappas, mega, you know, best-selling, wonderful author, uh, who I think she's got like a hundred books now <laughs> somehow. I don't even know how she does it, but hers are, and she markets it this way, clean, um, clean Southern cozies or something like that. So hers are very, very clean, like nothing bad at all. But then you're right. There's a range, you know, you might look at Jenna Bennett or, um, I don't know. I can't think off the top of my head, but you know, there is a range going the other way that kind of pushes the edge a little bit. Oh, I know. Like I just read the Smile Beach Murder by Alicia Bissett. And I would say that's sort of on the cusp of cozy and traditional almost, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there is a little bit more darkness to it. One of my books, Flower in the Attic, which is one of my bread shop books, Kirkus Reviews made a comment that it was, you know, like wheels within wheels of this darkly turning tale or something like that. You know, it was definitely on the darker side for cozies. And even within my own series, it was on the darker side. So there's definitely a, a range within the genre, the subgenre, and then even within a particular series. And you do write in more than one mystery genre. What is it that you like about writing cozies specifically? Um, well, like I said, I didn't even know what a cozy was initially, but I do find that my voice fits and the way that I tell a story fits for the cozies. I do have two sort of romantic suspense or, or mystery thrillers, whatever you want to call them, out there. And I loved writing them. And I think they're some of my best books, actually. But I don't like living in that dark place as a whole. I'm not... I don't watch horror movies. I don't like scream one, two, three, four, 20, any of them. <laughs> you know, I, I like happy things and I like domestic thrillers like your um, show that I just listened to this morning, which was so cool. I love domestic thrillers and, but that's like a psychological element and horror and, 
you know, the, the other sort of darker thrillers with all the violence that, you know, there's just enough violence in the world. I don't like to live there. So for me, the sort of happier tone of cozies just, I think, fits who I am as a person. And that is reflected in my voice and in the stories that I tell. I don't focus on the violence. You know, I focus on the puzzle, but even more than that, I focus on the community. I'm very much about female relationships, mothers and daughters and sisters and cousins and surrogate, you know, family and and stuff like that. And that's what I really love to sort of dig into. So um, so th- I think that's why my voice lends itself to the cozy genre. That is so interesting. And I think it's so true of like the personality of the author really matters. Um, yes, as writers, I think a lot of us can take any project and run with it, but your personality and where your heart is really plays a big part in what you decide to spend your career working on. And I think you'd agree with that, Sarah, that um, that's probably why our fiction leans towards the cozy end of things. Yeah, abs- absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm like you, Melissa. I like um, reading in the lighter side of, of things and, and, and watching in the lighter side of things, right? Like I, I have a, a hard time with kind of the heavier, the heavier stuff. And I can't, I can't imagine writing that. Like, I think it would be very, it would take a lot to do that. Yeah, I I do watch um, some crime procedural shows like um, The Closer. I love The Closer, Brenda Lee Johnson, and, uh, you know, things like that. And one thing that often comes up with the police officers and tech- detectives and stuff is, is them ruminating or living the fact that it's so difficult to maintain any kind of normalcy in a job like that, right? They, when you're surrounded by death and violence. And I have a friend, one of my earliest critique partners was uh, Alison Brennan, who's New York Times bestselling crazy suspense thriller author now. And, you know, I, I started out with her and, you know, we went in very different directions. I went very much on the lighter side and she is very, very, very dark. And I have often wondered, and, you know, in the early days we talked about, I'm like, what is it like inside your brain? Like, how do you stay sane? You know, she's got five kids and, you know, wonderful mother and, you know, very just awesome, normal person. But I'm like, your brain is really twisted, girl. <laughs> you do I couldn't do that. I feel like it would really mess with me over time. And I'm guessing that that's probably these the same um, inclinations that we have. It's probably what makes Cozy so popular with readers, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, during the pandemic and during um, times that are difficult, you know, we're facing inflation and potential recession and all of these things. And and it's just a form of escape, right? And it's a, a nicer form of escape than, you know, people getting slashed and... <laughs> mutilated. So uh, yeah, I think it's just a nice way for people to kind of escape their ordinary lives. And then the hooks of cozies, because every cozy has a hook of some sort, whether it's baking or cupcakes or knitting or sewing or bread making or pet shops or whatever, you know, it's, it's fun to sort of glom onto this, um, this craft element or this lifestyle element that, that resonates with you as a person, as a reader. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's just a nice way for people to, you know, step aside from real life for a little while. And and you mentioned that um, the pandemic 
kind of inspired people to pick up some of the lighter stories. And a few episodes ago, we spoke with um, Francis at Chronicles of Crime about specifically about hard boiled. And I thought it was cute. I was doing some research for today and realized that cozies are also sometimes called soft boiled. So um, that was, I thought, Mm -hmm. a cute moniker. But um, but um, Francis did mention that during the pandemic, she sold almost predominantly the lighter cozy mysteries and, and golden age mysteries. Um, so do you think that as a result of that, that the audience has expanded? I think that, yes, I don't know if it's directly related to the pandemic. Maybe I don't have any research on that or anything, but I do think that the cozy audience is continuing to expand. Um, I don't exactly know why that is. I think that, you know, initially, Maybe, I don't know how long they've even been around, but I've been writing them for eight or 10 years. And like I said, I've been a reader all my life and I didn't know what they were. So I think a lot of that is just exposure, you know, and the fact that more people are writing them. There are so many out there. People are talking about them. They're featured on the end caps in bookstores. You know, there are there is a cozy for every craft or hook under the sun. You know, I, I think they're just much more talked about now, which by definition, I think is going to increase your audience. So, Mm -hmm. or expand your audience, potential readers. So um, I don't know why exactly it's happening, but yeah, I think it's just, and then you have publishers like Berkeley crime, prime, prime, crime. Is that what it is? Crime, prime, prime, crime. (laughs) And then Kensington (laughs) Posies who, uh, you know, two branches of these big publishing houses who are, which are focusing solely on cozy. So even within the few remaining big publishers, cozies are getting, you know, a decent representation. And, you know, as long as a publisher is putting some of their weight behind the genre, then it's gaining exposure too. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And like you say, for at least 10 years, it's been a really hot subgenre and I don't really see the end anywhere near. It seems like it's just really going strong. And, um, and that's exciting. I think it's great. So thinking about the cozy space in general, and you know, you've mentioned some of the some of the tropes and some of the common hooks and what trends are you seeing that are coming up new in the cozy space? Well, um, I'll tell you about a sort of brief ish conversation I had with one of my editors. And when we were talking about new potential series, pitch ideas and things like that, and, uh, you know, her take, or at least what she was specifically looking for, and she was with Kensington, now she's with Berkeley, but her take on the industry is that, or I'm sorry, on the cozy genre is that it's staying the same with the same elements, but certain elements are developing or changing or growing. And so the heroine or the protagonist, for example, Uh, We're seeing a lot more protagonists with a little bit more baggage or backstory or series arcs and things that need to be resolved. And then we are transitioning somewhat from these small, cute communities, you know, Cabot Cove and that type of thing, to bigger cities or enclaves within bigger cities. So the settings are still remaining small, but within a bigger environment. And so sort of expanding the possibilities that exist by 
changing that setting a little bit. So that's what she was looking for and that's what she was seeing. And in a way I've seen that. So I mentioned the small beach murders and you can kind of see a little bit because you have this here. I mean, you often have a heroine who comes back to a small town from a bigger city, Mm -hmm. right? And so in this case, we have Callie who comes from Charlotte back to her small Outer Banks Island town. And she brings with her a lot of that bigger city sensibility that she then has to sort of re uh, figure out how to reconnect or mesh into that small town island life, which is so vastly different. Um, So, you know, we have books like that where you have sort of this this um, transition from a big city to a smaller town. And then you have other books that are taking the sleuth out of that small town and, and again, putting them like in Brooklyn, for example. And that becomes the small town and it's still a tight knit community, but you have that bigger setting. And then when I first started writing Cozies, I had my first heroine, Harlow Cassidy, with some, you know, difficult backstory. I can't remember what it is right now, but my editor at the time, she was like, you know, we don't really want that in cozies. We mm-hmm. just want the murder to be the conflict. We don't need the heroine to have conflicts to resolve. And that I think is the biggest change that I see that the heroines, the sleuths, the protagonist and hero, if it's a male, which is atypical, but still they're out there, you know, has baggage and stuff that they have to overcome. And, and that's, I think, adding a layer of depth to the cozies, to some cozies that are kind of going that route that they didn't have before. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think as a reader, it's much more satisfying to have some growth from your main character as well. And like you mentioned, a series arc. So maybe this overarching story that throughout the series, yes, they're little episodic mysteries that she's solving, but the whole story arc is is there too. And to me, that's that's what I would prefer to read. I agree. And I think that we also have a transition in which traditional mysteries are taking on a few cozy elements. So, uh, for example, I have a series, my book magic series, that I would classify as a traditional mystery series with some magical realism because she's a bibliomancer. So it has this little magical thread of this divination, which is kind of like a cozy hook, right? So so it's this bookish theme uh and it takes place on a outer by outer banks island actually um but that's it like those are the two sort of cozy elements and the rest of the book is very traditional and there is a huge overarching conflict throughout the entire series and a lot of um emotional baggage and conflict so i would say that you know we're seeing a shift in cozies going a little less cozy, but we're also seeing a shift in traditional mysteries taking on a few little cozy elements, which I think is another way to broaden the audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you're right. It, um, it broadens the audience also in the fact that someone might read that series of yours and really enjoy the way you tell a story. And then they may, uh, go back and read more your, of your cozy series. So, um, Really fun. Right. Really great. Ideally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's we can goal. hope, right? <laughs> I find it really interesting, the kind of difference between traditional mystery and cozy mystery, because I'm reading the first book in your book, Magic Mysteries, mm-hmm. and I would have placed it as, as a cozy mystery. 
Hmm. Yeah. And I think that, again, it has cozy elements, but I, I wouldn't place it firmly in the cozy mystery category because mainly of the overarching plot line that carries through all of the books. So as you get to the end of this one, you'll see what I mean. Um, and then that carries through and I'm working on book four right now and, and it's coming to a climax, you know? And, and so I think that's one of the big things that sets it apart from the cozy genre is that it has this, that, that huge overarching thing is really what drives all the subsequent books. Mm -hmm. if you will. And that's different than a cozy. So cozy, you have all these crimes that are unrelated, you know, just people dropping dead in this sleuth pathway <laughs> in this little small town. And, um, and in, in this particular series, that's not how it happens. I mean, you do have these people ending up dead, but it's for a different reason, you mm -hmm. know, and it's all interconnected. So in that way, I think it's different. That's my own take. I mean, I don't know. I could be totally wrong. <laughs> no, I think that I, I, I think that's really interesting. From somebody who's been in the industry for many years, who sets the trends? Is it? Do you think that it's readers, authors, publishers? Who, who kind of pushes the trends in any genre? Gosh, if I had the answer to that, I think I could be a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's that's a tough one, you know, especially with the self-publishing indie world, which is just you know exploding. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think there's a huge influence with the very successful indie authors and what they're putting out there. And I think that, I think that in part, our trend is towards having a lot of content. <laughs> it's like the Netflix binge, you know, we, we now have sort of been programmed to have everything right out there all at once so we can binge it. And I have readers who have told me, you know, your books sound really cool, you know, the, the book magic series, for example, but I'm not going to read it until you have the third one out because I won't buy any series until there are at least three. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, and then the third one comes out and they buy it and then they'll read it because we have this binge sort of sensibility now. So in that sense, I think that the indie market really is influencing what's being read and what's put out there because there is this rapid release whole mechanism for indie authors that traditional publishing houses can't compete with. My last bread shop book came out earlier this year. I can't remember. No, no, it didn't. It came out last November. That was number seven. Number eight was supposed to come out in May and it was pushed to November. So that's an entire year. That book's been done for months. That's an entire year. So how does somebody who, you know, is kind of program now to just be reading, 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 reading. Are they going to wait for my book? Are they even going to know it's out there when it releases unless they're part of my little bubble, you know? So I think that in my opinion, I think that indie publishing is just influencing things in ways that we didn't even know that they could, you know? And I think a great part of that is just, you know, how we have been reprogrammed to have instant gratification over and over and over. <laughs> Yeah, that is a great point. Um, the whole binge watching a series uh, has changed our mindset as consumers, right? Right. My husband and I were watching um, The Staircase mm -hmm. on HBO. And it's with uh, Colin Firth and Tony Collette. And it is a true crime. It's a fictionalized 
story of the true crime event that took place in Durham, right next door to where we live, about a woman who dies on the staircase. And we watched the first four. I'm like, oh, it's really good. And it's right down the street. And it's, you know, I love these characters and um, so interesting. And we got to number four. And we're like, okay, let's watch another one. And there's no more. <laughs> like, what? We have to wait two weeks? What? No. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I mean, we're just, it's we're so used to being able to just, okay, let the, 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 the little thing go to the next episode and keep playing (laughs) and I think you know that definitely has translated or transferred into book reading for so many people yeah fascinating and you know your comment is coming from we all remember the age where you had to wait a whole week for the next episode of your show you know (laughs) so that's how we feel we're we've been um switched over to the binge watching, think about our, you know, 20 somethings. It's how their whole life has been. So I think it definitely does impact all entertainment. So that's a really good point, Melissa. Well, before I ask our last little fun final question, is there anything that we missed that um, that you'd like to share with us, Melissa, about cozy mysteries or um, about mysteries in general? Oh, um, I don't know. I think we kind of touched on everything that I would have talked about, um, you know, for anybody out there who doesn't read cozies, I would say give them a try because they're a lot of fun. And um, if you're if you're just happening upon this podcast and you're not that into mysteries, I would say definitely give them a try because that's, you know, some fun reading ahead. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think that it's just a great genre to read in, obviously, but I think it's a wonderful genre to write in mysteries, cozy mysteries, traditional mysteries, any of it, because I have a lot of fun creating the puzzle. So my hope is that my readers have a lot of fun trying to piece the puzzle together, you know? So it, it's just a, it's a great job. That's awesome. And so our final fun question is, who is your favorite, Perot, Sherlock Holmes, or Miss Marple? Yes, that is a tough one. I like them all for different reasons, but I would have to say that I would probably choose Poirot because he's, well, he and Sherlock Holmes both are larger than life characters, I would say, right? They behave and act in ways that are more, um, that are just bigger than the ordinary person. And they, they do things and think in ways that are bigger than the ordinary person. So I like that about both of those characters. I love Miss Marple. She's just, uh, you know, and I've read all of the books, but in terms of a character, I think she's a lot more low key, right? And so in terms of engagement, I think I find Holmes's deductions and just the way his brain works fascinating and Poirot is quite similar. But I think that Poirot to me is a little bit larger than life, just a little bit more memorable of a character, um, you know, with his mustache and I don't know, his just his hats and different things. And so uh, I just enjoy him I think as a character, maybe a little bit more, but I think they're all great. But for me, the characters that really resonate are the ones that are a little bit larger than life that, that you just think, wow, I wish I would be able to say that in the moment. Cause you know, I think of my characters as alter egos of myself that if I, in the moment were sassier, sexier, smarter, more clever, whatever, you know, then 
that would be awesome. I put them in my books, but it takes a while, right, to come up with those comebacks or, you know, I'll, I'll mulse an argument over or something and I'll be like, five hours later, oh, I should have said that, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. and my characters can come up with it just like that. So I think that the characters that resonate are the characters that we see something in that we would like to see in ourselves. And for me, that's Poirot more than the other two, although they're all great. I love it. I love it. And I, I see your point. We Those characters that can be witty and smart and quick and it, it's it's who we would want to be and that's what makes reading mysteries so fun right is that we get to live a whole different life through um through these characters so well melissa it has been a pleasure talking right. with you i'm so pleased that you joined us today thank you for having me this was so much fun thank you for listening we'd love to hear your feedback you can reach us at hello at cluedinmystery.com or on instagram at cluedinmystery If you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a rating or a review or telling a friend to help spread the word. Thank you for joining us today on Clued in Mystery. I'm Brooke. And I'm Sarah. And we both love mystery. Clued in Mystery is produced by Brooke Peterson and Sarah M. Stephen. Music is by Shane Ivers at silvermansound.com. Visit us online at cluedinmystery.com or social media at cluedinmystery. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing leaving a review, or telling your friends.